Good morning, everybody. Man, it is, it is so, so good to see you in person. You know, Jackie and I have been worshiping with you online for the last three months, but it is nothing like being with you in the house of the Lord and singing together with you, and it's just so good uh, to be with you today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jim Kennington. Uh, I am the pastor emeritus here now, which is a part-time role on the pastoral staff. So as Tom said, uh, the sabbatical's over, and... Uh, after 21 years as senior pastor, I passed the baton to Tom uh, at the end of June, and for the last three months we've uh, been on sabbatical. But I am so excited to be back. I am ready to be back. And uh, but I want you to know we had a fantastic sabbatical. Uh, people have been asking. Uh, we did a lot of household projects. Uh, we had some fun family vacation. I got to take Jackie away for a little anniversary uh, getaway. Uh, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. Got to spend extra time with our adult kids and go to church with them. So it's been a very rich sabbatical season for us. But uh, mainly want to thank you for the opportunity to have that sabbatical and for the love gifts that made much of that travel possible. Uh, I was asked to include a couple of photos just to give you a feel for sabbatical. So I, I picked three. So in August, uh, on our family vacation, we went to Zion National Park. There's a picture of Zion. Uh, we did the uh, Narrows hike. Uh, Jackie and I and the girls, and then after uh, there, we went over to uh, Laguna Beach and uh, spent five days at the beach, and the girls did some surfing lessons. So they're ready for the big waves now. They want to go to Hawaii, as you can imagine. All right, enough about all of that. Let's get to it. This weekend, we continue our fall sermon series called This Is Us, which is designed to share who we are as a church. Please remember the purpose of this series. It's to relate and to remind. So to relate to newcomers and to remind regular attenders what we consider to be the heartbeat or the DNA of this church. And so that's where we're headed today. First off, we want to talk about what we believe about the Bible. Then I want to mention a few things by way of how we live that out as a church family. And then finally, to talk about some next steps or application. So... Here we go. What do we believe about the Bible at Lake City? And I want to begin with a fun story. It happened all the way back in 2003. So we're talking 18 years ago. This new family shows up one weekend here at church. And I met them. And shortly after that, I got an invitation from Tom and Debbie Lee to uh, come over to their home and to chat and get better acquainted. Again, we're talking 18 years ago, a long time ago. And uh, so Jackie and I go over, we have a fantastic visit, getting to know the Lees, and uh, I jokingly look back and refer to that conversation as the interrogation. And vital to that conversation was a series of questions about the Bible. And even though I joke about it as the interrogation, I should emphasize that the spirit of the conversation was very warm, very friendly. But the questions were, went something like this, you know, what do you believe about the Bible? Do you believe in the inspiration of the Bible? What does that mean to you? Do you believe the Bible is inerrant? And how do you preach God's word? And those kind of questions. And uh, uh, actually, I have very fond memories of that conversation with Tom and Debbie and their questions. And the reason is I believe that those are exactly the kind of questions every new person should ask when they visit a church. Because our beliefs about the Bible are foundational to everything else that we believe and all of our 
practices as a church. So, what exactly do we believe about the Bible as a church? You know, churches are really all over the map on their views about the Bible. And I want to begin with the key passage, which is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, being able to learn more about your word today. Please open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and teach us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the context of what we just read. Paul is now an old man, and he's writing to his younger friend. Timothy's about 15 years younger, we believe. And Paul and Timothy met when Timothy was 33. On, this was during Paul's second missionary journey. And they became friends. Paul joined, or Timothy joined Paul and became part of his missionary journeys. And Paul invested in Timothy as a disciple for almost 20 years, something like that. So you remember what Pastor Mark Gothier spoke to us about last week? The importance of making disciples, right? Well, Paul believed that. And Paul invested his life in making disciples, and particularly in this man named Timothy. Which is why we have the book of 2 Timothy that we're looking at today. Now, Timothy had come to faith in Christ through the influence of his mother and grandmother. We're talking Lois and Eunice. That's mentioned in chapter 1 of that same letter. But fast forward now about 20 years after Paul and Timothy met. And Paul's writing to Timothy now. And Paul is in a prison cell in Rome. And he's awaiting his death. Timothy was in Ephesus where he's leading the churches. Paul had appointed him over the churches in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is reminiscing a bit. I want to jump back a couple of verses and let you see what Paul said there. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So Timothy's mother and grandmother were the ones who introduced him to the word of God and taught Timothy the scriptures. And that just demonstrates to all of us the power and the importance of teaching God's word to our kids and to our grandkids, I think. Then notice in verse 15 the word sacred writings. Sacred writings in verse 15, that, that is an important Word. It's a, the Greek words are hieros grammatos. The words used to describe the Old Testament writings, in this case, the sacred writings, hieros grammatos. But when we get to verse 16, Paul uses a different word, a Greek word, graphe. And that also refers to the sacred writings. But it includes the New Testament books of the Bible. Now, the Greek word graphe is the word that we get our word graph from. So think autograph, lithograph, photograph, something down in writing or something down for you to read. Why is that important? Because it reveals to us, it shows us that God didn't just think his message for us and he didn't just speak his message or he didn't just give people dreams and visions. 
He graphed it. He saw to it that it was written down in human language. And this, too, is a key thing that we believe that God wrote a book. Such a simple and profound sentence. But think about it. God wrote a book. The God of the universe who created everything, who created you and me, who could have communicated with us in so many different ways, decided that the permanent expression of his heart to us would come in writing. And so God wrote a book. And that's one reason that we hold the Bible to be so important. But let me also say this. We don't worship a book. We worship the one who wrote that book and gave it to us. Jesus Christ is the living word. This is the written word. Jesus Christ is the living word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We continue reading and find out that's a reference to Jesus Christ himself. He is the living word. The Bible is the written word. Both are important, but remember, it's the Bible that points us to Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that. All right, let's unpack a little bit more about what we believe about Scripture, the Word of God. Number one, first of all, hopefully you have your notes out or open up your app. The Bible is inspired. The Bible is inspired. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Let me stop there. All Scripture. And this is where we drive one stake, beloved. All right, This is something we have great conviction about. In this church, all of it, all of it, all scripture, all 66 books of our Bible, all 39 books of the Old Testament, all 27 books of the New Testament, all of it is God-breathed and inspired. All 1,189 chapters, all 31,219 verses, all 757,058 words in the Bible are inspired. All of it. And all God's people said? Amen. Oh, or amen. That's fine. All of it is inspired. And the word that Paul used was theonousis. Theonousis means so theos, Greek word for God, and pneusis is breathed out or blow hard. All right? We believe that God breathed out all scripture. Well, what does that mean? Well, I like this analogy someone came up with. Picture a sailboat. This boat, this sailboat pictures the author or authors of the Bible. And God is like the wind that blows and catches the sail of the boat. God breathed into the authors to take them where he wanted them to go. All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. Listen, do you understand that Unless you live just a few blocks from church, just about every week when you drive to church, chances are that you are driving by churches in our community that don't believe that very thing, that God's word is inspired. They don't hold to a biblical view of the Bible. But we not only believe that God's word is inspired, we believe that it is verbally inspired, which means that God chose the very words, not just the concepts. He didn't say, well, write down a few things about what Jesus did uh, in the storm. 
You know, no, he, he helped craft the very words. How do we know that? Listen to what Jesus said in John 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. You see that right there? Because some people are like, well, it was many years after the, Jesus died that the apostles wrote the Gospels. And so what if they forgot some of the stuff? Uh, no problem, because the third person of the Trinity was on it. Say he's on it. All right. And how many of you think the Holy Spirit is capable of helping the writers of Scripture remember the things Jesus said? Absolutely, he is. In fact, look over at John 16. Jesus said this as well. Lest there be any doubt, listen to this. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Whatever the spirit hears from God, he will declare to those who wrote it down. He's talking to the apostles here. So that's the human track. It's the father to the son, to the Holy Spirit, to the human authors to the book that we hold in our hands today. You see, God is very serious about and very invested in his word. And by the way, all scripture indicates more than just the Old Testament scriptures. And I say that because when Paul wrote that, remember, he was talking primarily about the Old Testament. That's all they had in writing at that time for the most part. But yet, Paul had a very real sense that God was bringing forth inspired scriptures through him and through the other apostles. How do we know that? Well, Paul combined an Old Testament quotation and the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 10, and he called them both scripture. Guess what? Peter had that same concept, that same understanding. He called Paul's writings scripture as well. And so the apostles... As they were putting down scripture for us, recording the word of God, they understood that the Holy Spirit was giving them something that was inspired, just like the Old Testament. It's inspired and inerrant. So God wrote a book and we call it the Bible. It's the inspired word of God. Secondly, number two, the Bible is inerrant. It's inerrant. This is the second important concept that we need to understand, that God wrote a book in such a way that it is without error. The Bible is inerrant. By the way, we're going to be talking about a lot of things about the Bible today. We could actually spend the next month talking about this. If you have questions that aren't answered today, I'd love you to write them on your card or, or send me an email. We'd love to give you some resources or answer any other questions you have. It is such a, an expansive topic. We were just kind of summarizing things today. I want you to understand that. All right. The Bible is inerrant, you know, but some people are like, I, I get that God wrote a book, but why did he have to use people anyway? I mean, people always mess things up. People make mistakes. Uh, they don't have great memories. Why did he have to use human authors? Well, I don't know why God chose to do it that way, but God did show, choose to work through human authors, and he told us basically how he did it. And so we turn now to the second key passage that I want to look at with you, and that's 2 Peter chapter 1. 
And this is what it says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, in other words, get this, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good to know? Not one verse is from just the will of man. Not one verse is inspired by man. It all came from God. Because men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Remember our sailboat analogy. Let's go back to that. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice, not by the will of men. However, God did use the distinct personalities of each author. Okay? In other words, God didn't just dictate word by word what to write. He didn't use them like robots. The way God did it is through his Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit chose the words along with the author. But it wasn't like dictation. God still used the individual personalities of each author as he directed them to write what he wanted them to say. Which is why Dr. Luke, medical doctor, uh, used far more medical terms than any other author of God's word. It's why Paul, who apparently loves sports, used so many athletic analogies. I, I like to think of it this way, that God chose to use each of the human authors, but he, through the Holy Spirit, was the ghostwriter behind it all. All right, but some people still have a little bit of a problem with that. They go, well, you know, the Bible, how do we know that those human authors still didn't make mistakes? I've always looked at it this way. See if this helps. If our God has the know-how to create everything in the world, the universe, he certainly has the know-how how to make sure a book can get written even using human authors. And he has the know-how to preserve it in such a way that it is inerrant and trustworthy for you and I today. You see, if we believe in the God of the Bible, if you don't, that's another conversation. But if you believe in the God of the Bible with all of his power and all of his amazing attributes, it's not really a big stretch at all to believe that he has the ability to write a book and to make sure that it is without error. And by the way, our Bible is an amazing document. I hope you realize that. Our Bible has 66 books, separate books, but combined as one book we call the Bible. It's written by more than 40 authors over a period of something like 1,600 years. And those authors came from different walks of life. There's a medical doctor and farmers and fishermen and tax collectors and prophets. And so... That huge variety of authors, and yet a fantastic unity of message. And it is all without error. It's inerrant. God's word is truth. By the way, do you know what the strongest proof is that God's word is inerrant? There's many proofs about that. There's uh, history. There's prophecy. There's archaeology and so on. But the greatest proof of all is the testimony of Jesus Christ, the testimony of our Lord Jesus. 
Over and over and over again, Jesus proclaimed his trust in God's word in scripture. And we could spend the rest of the sermon just looking at all the places he did that. We don't have time for that. But I want to give you just one passage where Jesus made that abundantly clear. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I want you to notice the words right in the middle there, not an iota, not a dot. The King James, if you're familiar with that, says not a jot or a tittle. Okay, And the word jot or iota refers to the very smallest letters in the Hebrew alphabet. I'm giving you some examples on the screen behind me. So a jot or an iota actually looks like an English apostrophe. You see that on the right there. And a dot or a tittle is even smaller. That's like the serif on the corner of a letter. Okay, so you see just how minute these pieces of the alphabet are that, that uh, Jesus is referring to here. And listen, beloved, here's the point. Jesus is saying God's word is so accurate and trustworthy that everything written in scripture will come to pass, will be fulfilled down to the very smallest detail. Every word, every tense of every verb, it's true, it's trustworthy. And that is great news for us. Well, that brings us to point number three, and that's the Bible is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. We can define the sufficiency of scripture this way. The sufficiency of scripture means that the scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have. And everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. In other words, we don't need anything else besides the Bible. For centuries, there was a debate in the church over the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible versus the authority of the church. And the debate came about because the Pope and other church leaders, other Catholic church leaders, insisted that their traditions, their decisions were superior to the written word of God. And so sola scriptura became the rallying cry of the Reformation, that along with the other solas. But sola scriptura means scripture alone. You see, for centuries, the Roman Catholic Church had made its tradition superior in authority to the Bible. And that resulted in many practices that were, in fact, contrary to the Bible. Some examples are praying to the saints, the Immaculate Conception, infant baptism, and selling indulgences, which means buying forgiveness so you can get to heaven. Well, Martin Luther came along. We know him as the founder of the uh, Lutheran Church but, and the father of the Protestant Reformation. But he was, at first, a priest in the Catholic Church. And he saw those teachings, and as he got into God's word, he realized that they didn't line up. And so he began to oppose those unbiblical practices. And the Catholic Church didn't like that very much, and so they threatened him with excommunication. And later they threatened him with death if he didn't recant what he was saying. He was contradicting what the 
leaders of the church were saying, and so they didn't like that very much. And listen to Martin Luther's brave reply. In part, this is what he said, and I quote, Unless, therefore, I am convinced of the testimony of Scripture, I cannot and will not retract. Here I stand, I can do no other, may God help me. Amen. And the key phrase I want to zero in on here is this. I just lost it. There it is. <laughs> Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture, I cannot recant. In other words, God's word is our final authority, and it is sufficient for everything we need. Okay? We don't need anything besides the word of God. Now, there are numerous passages in the Bible that lead us to believe in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. And one of the clearest is Acts 17. It's where Paul commended the Bereans, the Christians in Berea, for scrutinizing what he taught them about the Scriptures. Listen to what Paul wrote, or, uh, is recorded there, what he said to them. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So you imagine the apostle, the great apostle comes and he's in your city and he's speaking to your group of believers and then you go home afterwards and you're examining the Old Testament scriptures, which is what they had, and just making sure that Paul was accurate. That's what they were doing and that's what Paul commended them for. Because the Bible, the written word of God, is our only authority. It's also worth noting that Jesus himself opposed those who allowed traditions to override the explicit commands of God. Often that was the Pharisees that Jesus got tangled up with and, and, and uh, uh, attacked about that, and we'll come, that, come to that in a few minutes. So the question is, what does the sufficiency of Scripture mean for us today? Well, it means that we have everything that we need right here in God's Word for life and for faith. Yes, the canon of scripture, that means the collection of books that are recognized as inspired by God, they are closed. There's no more scripture being written today. We have all that we need in the word of God. There's no need for apostles and prophets today either because we have all that we need right here. And yet some churches today continue to elevate their own views and traditions over the Bible. For example, some churches enforce legalistic rules that are nowhere found in Scripture. Don't do this, and you need to do this. Well, show me in the Bible how you get that, right? Another example of elevating man-made ideas over Scripture is looking for answers in the things of the world rather than in the Word of God. So beware of relying on self-help videos or pop psychology books rather than finding your solutions in the word of God. Listen, beloved, God's word is sufficient. And all we need is to study God's word and allow God's spirit to use it to lead us and to grow us and to mature us into the image of Christ. So the Bible is inspired. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is sufficient. Finally, number four, it, it is profitable. The Bible is profitable. Abraham Lincoln once said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this 
book. God's word is profitable. It's invaluable. The way Paul put it was all scripture is profitable. And that word means useful or helpful or valuable. Okay? And there are so many ways that that is true. I want to highlight just three of them for you today. Just to kind of remind you of how valuable it is for us. First of all, the Bible is God's way of communicating with us. That's really the, the most important reason that, that we need to be in God's word daily. We read it daily. Because we're in a relationship with God, and the Bible is God's way of speaking to us, of sharing his heart with us, of leading us and comforting us and convicting us. I like what it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God even uses his word to convict us and to show us where we're wrong. Any strong relationship is dependent upon constant good two-way communication. And the Bible is God's way of communicating with you and me. Second, another way it's profitable is that it strengthens our faith and helps us grow. Your spiritual growth is directly related to the time that you spend in God's word. I like how Peter mentioned it. He said, like newborn babies long for the milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Got a good picture if you've been around a newborn baby recently. Long for the pure milk of the word. The Apostle Paul writes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to grow in your faith and in your maturity in the Lord, intentional intake of God's word is key. A third way it profits is this. The Bible gives us hope and direction. Hope and direction. Billy Graham said, if you're ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. God leads us and he guides us through his word. The Bible is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And if you need help understanding God's will for your life, you need to get in to the scriptures. You see, God's word gives us direction. But it also gives us hope as we look around us and as we think about the future and that's one of the values of studying Bible prophecy. God said these amazing words through the prophet Isaiah. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God says, I declare the end from the beginning. What's going to happen in the future, I'm going to tell you now. And only God can do that, right? Listen, if you find yourself confused or anxious about the state of our world today, what that says is you need to learn more about what God's word says is coming. 28% of the Bible is prophetic. You see, God gave it to us not to scare us, but to prepare us for what's ahead to keep us from being worried. 
As we often say around here, things aren't falling apart, they're just falling into place. And I want to invite you, we have a revelation class that is starting this Thursday night that I'm going to be teaching. Yeah, that, if you're not in a class, a Bible study already, that would be a great place for you to plug in. I think that will give you great hope and encouragement about what's going on in our world today and the plans that God has for the future. All right. How do we live this out at Lake City? Yeah, as we've been doing every week, we not only share what we believe about our core values, in this case the Bible, but also how we live out those core values as a church. And I have four examples for you today. Right? Number one is Awana. Awana is just one of the great children's ministries here at Lake City. And Awana stands for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed, which comes from 2 Timothy 2.15. Awana begins in just a couple of weeks, uh, Wednesday the 27th precisely, and uh, uh, because of that, we wanted to highlight that today, and we've asked R.J. Prestwich, who's our, our new uh, Awana leader this year, to uh, come and share a little bit, as well as his thoughts about the Bible. So let's enjoy watching this video by R.J. My name's RJ Prestwich. My family and I are fairly new to Lake City. We've been here for about a year and we've uh, quickly made Lake City our home. We moved up here about a year ago. My job with Cadence International brought us here. Cadence International is a ministry to the military. So they moved us up here to work with soldiers at JBLM. And before that, I did about 15 years serving as a local church pastor. And now I'm excited that I get to serve as the Awana commander here at Lake City. Uh, Awana, real quick, if you don't know, is a child discipleship program that's built around knowing the Bible, teaching the Bible to children, and children memorizing the different verses in the Bible so that they can hide that in their heart and know that and recall that later in life. I was asked to share a little bit about the importance the Bible has played in my life, and I can't think of anything in my life that is more significant or important than the Bible. Uh, the Bible has just been instrumental in uh, how I live and how I think. Uh, there, there's so much struggle in our culture and our world. Uh, from Genesis chapter 3, when the devil, devil questioned Adam and Eve and said, did God truly say? We've been questioning since then, what, what is true? What, is, what, what does God's word really say? Is it trustworthy? Is it reliable? And we've come to see and know, and I've come to know as I've memorized scripture, such as 2 Timothy 3.16, that tells us all scripture is God-breathed. And if it's God-breathed, it's true, it's reliable, it's accurate. And that's one reason I love being here at Lake City is uh, they, they teach that as well. They believe fully and teach fully that scripture is God-breathed, that, that it is infallible, that it is accurate, that it's true, that it's trustworthy. And that's something important for me and for my kids. I want my children to be discipled knowing that God's word is true, that the Bible is true. The Bible and the study of the Bible and memorization of the Bible has been important in my family's life. We've been memorizing the Bible as we sit around the dinner table. Uh, and I've seen that be important and helpful in the discipleship of my own children in my house. I've seen that be important in my own life as I've gone through and uh, grown in Christ and memorized scripture for years. There's been so many times that Different verses will pop up to my head that I'd memorized years ago that I can bless someone with, that I can encourage someone with, that I can help someone with. And it's so encouraging and helpful in my life and in my children's life and as I, as I lead others to know that I have truth. Because we live in a culture and a world where 
truth is questioned. Uh, people don't seem to know what's true. People are questioning what's right and wrong, uh, what's good, what's bad. And here, I'm blessed with the Bible, with having God's breathed words that I, that I know are true, that I know are reliable, that I know are accurate, that I know are trustworthy because they come from God. Thank you so much, RJ, and uh, super job sharing a little bit about your thoughts on the Bible and on Awana. All five of the, our Kennington kids went through the Awana ministry, and we absolutely love Awana. It is such a powerful tool to train our kids in the Word of God. We found it to be so useful as a memory, uh, Bible memory tool as a family. I want to highly recommend if you have kids or you have grandchildren that you consider getting them in Awana. By the way, it's also a great place to serve, a good, good starting place to serve. You can come and just listen to kids uh, recite their Bible verses and follow along and, and help them memorize the Bible. We are particularly looking for a Cubbies director right now, and Cubbies is the three to five-year-old age group. And uh, if you want any information about serving in, in Awana, any age group, or even having your children in Awana, just write Awana on your little Connect card today, and we'll have somebody call you this, this coming week. But Awana is just one example of the many ways that we focus on learning God's Word as a church. Another one is our encouragement for daily Bible reading. Daily Bible reading. You know, 88% of American households own at least one Bible. But according to Barna Research, only 19% of Americans are engaged Bible readers. Here's how they define engaged. Those who read the Bible at least four times a week or more. Only 19% of Americans say that they read the Bible four times a week or more. So the question we should be asking ourselves is, how do we line up with that? You know, each January in our goal sermons, we encourage you to set a goal for your daily intake of the Word of God. My own testimony is uh, I've always read the Bible. Of course, I'm a pastor, so that's sort of expected, right? But uh, uh, 20 years ago, I went to a, a seminar and uh, made a commitment at that seminar, both Jackie and I did, uh, that we were going to read through the Bible using some one-year Bible reading plan that year. Uh, the one that we use looks like this. It's the daily one-year Bible, chronological Bible. And uh, so we've been doing that for 20 years now. And that daily habit, more than anything else, over the years has helped me grow spiritually. By the way, there's all kinds of Bible reading plans and Bible reading formats and apps and things like that. The version has a great one that looks something like this. You can type in Bible app on your phone or version on your phone, and they have some great ones on there. I know a lot of you are using that. Uh, in fact, some 42 of you signed up at the beginning of the year to do the Read Through the Bible app that uh, we encourage as a church at that time. So it's not so much what one you're using as find one that you like and be consistent with it. And if I could just add a personal note here, I, I, I can't overstress how much I enjoy my daily time in the Word of God. It's one of the highlights of my day, perhaps the highlight of the day every morning after I get my cup of coffee is to sit down with Jackie in the front room and uh, read the Word of God together. We, we're both reading out of the same one-year Bible, and we do that intentionally so we can discuss the same things and say, did you see this? And what, about, what do you think this means? And 
and so on. Now, we don't always make it, but most of the time we do, and if we don't, we try to catch up. Uh, but it's just a rich time for us to read God's Word and uh, share it together. And it just brings so much pleasure, and it helps me also to grow in my love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, I want to encourage you to find a Bible reading plan that works for you and get started and stick with it. So how do we live out the importance of the Bible here at Lake City? Well, Awana is one way, Bible reading is another, and third is expository preaching. Expository preaching is our emphasis as a church. Listen to the instruction given to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word is the very first responsibility that Paul mentioned to Timothy as a young pastor. Be faithful to preach the word of God. And I take that to be a reference to expository preaching because that, as we see examples of preaching in the Bible, that's typically how it was done. Expository preaching means preaching verse by verse, explaining what the word of God means, usually working through a book of the Bible, but at least a segment, like a paragraph of the Bible. And the word expository, in case you're interested, comes from the word expose. And the idea is to expose the meaning of the biblical authors. Very few churches actually teach the Bible that way any longer. Many preachers just get up and read a verse or two and then sort of launch into a talk about whatever they want to say. And I believe that's a dangerous way to preach. But if you've been around Lake City for long, I think you know that we are committed to expository preaching as our default, as our primary way of preaching. Even though we aren't preaching through a book of the Bible right now in this fall series, we are doing topical exposition. And the bulk of our year is devoted to verse-by-verse -verse exposition through a book of the Bible. And we're excited to return to the book of Mark shortly after Christmas. All right. Number four, we also live out our value of the Bible through Bible study, Bible studies. And the Apostle Paul wrote this to his young disciple Timothy as well. He said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Another translation puts it like this, study to show yourself approved unto God. And as a, ver as a church, we offer numerous Bible studies each year. That's our, one of the ways that we do that. And many of them are verse by verse through books of the Bible. For example, I think right now we're currently offering five studies through books of the Bible. Some of those are in the evening, some are in the morning, some are on Sunday morning. Some are for ladies, some are for men, some are for the family. And I believe right now we're covering Genesis, Luke, First and Second Peter, and John. Those are the ones that we offer. So you can see there are plenty of opportunities to be a serious student of the Word of God. Personally, I'm especially partial to studies that go verse by verse through books because I think that's the best way to learn God's Word. And I want to strongly encourage you to become part of one. And again, if you're looking for a class or a Bible study, and you're free on Thursday nights. This Thursday night is the beginning of uh, a brand new Revelation class that's going to go throughout the school year. 
Thursday nights at 7, right here in the auditorium. We'll begin with a few songs, and then we'll just go verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And uh, that'd be an awesome thing if you wanted to join us. All right, what can you do? And we call this next part, Next Steps. Okay? We've talked about what we believe as a church and how we live that out as a church family. The final thing I want you to think about with me is this. What are you going to do about what you heard today? And I have four suggestions. Number one is to appreciate the Word of God. Make a decision. I'm going to appreciate the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Listen, I understand chances are you're not going to remember what I said today a month from now or a week from now, and probably most of you not tomorrow, right? All right, I get that. So what I'm trying to do is just to sort of start a fresh fire in your heart today for the Word of God so that you will make the decision to be in God's Word every day, to pick a Bible reading plan, and to ask someone to join you, a spouse or a friend or someone from your small group to, to read with you and to, to pray for you and help hold you accountable. Because if you appreciate the word of God, you will make it your priority to be in it and to let it be your meditation. Next step number two is I will attend the word of God. Attend the word of God. And that means attending where God's word is taught and preached. In other words, don't, and don't come just once a month, okay, or when it's convenient for your schedule. You need to make it a priority. Hebrews 10 puts it like this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved, don't neglect meeting together. Listen, we can see the day drawing near. Amen? We can see the day of our Lord's return approaching and the stage is being set. And that's why we need to attend the Word of God. We need to be together to encourage one another in these days. Appreciate the Word. Attend the Word. Number three is I will apply the Word of God. Apply you see, there's no great benefit from just hearing God's word taught. It's really all about what you do with it. And James says this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. God didn't write a book just to make you and me smarter. Okay? He gave us his words to change us, that we would live our lives differently. And that's why we often suggest these next steps at the end of our messages, okay? So we need to always ask the question, how can I apply or put into practice what I heard today? And then one final thing that I want to suggest for you, beloved. I will accept the living word. Accept the living word. Notice the change there, right? In light of all that I've said today, it's important that I close by reminding you that the Bible is not an end in itself. Someone put it like this. The Bible is not an end in itself. It is a bridge to a better place. And that place is a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Again, we don't worship a book. We worship the one who wrote the book. 
He's the living word. The Pharisees were a first century religious group that revered the scriptures and Jesus condemned them for it. Listen to what Jesus said to them. This is John chapter five. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. God wrote a book and Jesus Christ is the message of his book. It was given to us that we might find true life through a relationship with God through Christ. If you are not growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and in your love for him, you're really missing the whole point. Okay? And remember, don't miss out on the reason God sent Jesus in the first place. It's because we all need forgiveness of sin. Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And the Bible also says this to all who receive him, Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I pray that you will love the word of God and that you will enjoy it every day of the rest of your life. But even more, friend, I pray that you will receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior from sin and enjoy a relationship with him forever. Let's pray. Bow with me, please. Father God, we thank you for your holy word, that you gave it to us through human authors, and that we have the confidence it's true and trustworthy and inspired, breathed out by you. And we thank you that it points us to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know him and have his forgiveness of sin. For any who are here today and have yet to take that first step and, and want to do so today, friend, I just invite you to pray along in the silence of your heart. You can say, Father, I want your forgiveness. Father, I admit today that I've sinned against you and I, and I can't forgive myself. I put my faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection for my sin today. And I receive him as my Savior and Lord. And I pray also, Lord, that you would increase for all of us our hunger and our thirst for your word and for a relationship with you through it. We thank you for your good gifts to us and we love you and thank you in Jesus' name.